Luke chapter number 22. You can also find 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Luke chapter number 22. And 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. We'll be in Luke 22 to begin with. And then we'll move over for uh, some uh, teaching, uh, a lesson, if you will, out of 1 Corinthians 11. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you're in Luke chapter number 22, I want you to say amen. amen. I start reading in verse number 14, all right? The Bible says, and when the hour was come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine. Or did I skip a verse? For I say, yeah, no, I'm right. Here we go. In uh, verse 17, and he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper saying this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. I'm not going to read the rest of that but in verse number 21 he lets them know that the one that would betray him is sitting at the table with them. This is when he lets them know that Judas Iscariot would betray them. And then in chapter or in verse number 24, and as you go down, uh, I mentioned this earlier, but they were the disciples were arguing over who would be the greatest. And so you can see that even on the night before Jesus would hang on a cross, there was conflict. There were things going on within uh, the fellowship, if you will. And, uh, and those things, if they were going on that night, then you can believe that they're still going on in our day and time. We move over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. And Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And they have been instructed by Paul. Uh, he had he'd spent a year and a half uh, with them in discipleship. They had been instructed on the ordinance of the uh, uh, Lord's Supper. And so uh, they were participating in the Lord's Supper, but they took it to another degree. And they caused a problem by doing so. And so Paul, in his letter to the church here at Corinth, has to address the things that they are doing wrong. And by doing so, he gives us some insight on how you and I are to prepare. So first, let's take a look at uh, uh, chapter number 11 of 1 Corinthians, and we'll begin our reading in verse number 17. We'll begin our reading in verse number 17 of chapter number 11. And the Bible says, and now in this, this is Paul speaking to the church. He says, now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. Now that's a phrase that Paul is going to use over and over uh, uh, in this particular chapter concerning what is going on. The Bible says that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. And can I say this? There's a lot of churches that are get, they're coming together uh, not for the better, yeah. 
before the worst. Verse number 18, for first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must also, or there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Verse number 20, and when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before, his, for, before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is, listen to this, drunken. And so they had taken it to another level. They had taken this to uh, what they would consider to be a love feast or an agape feast. And they were basically what we would know and what we could uh, uh, familiarize ourselves with is a potluck dinner, if you will. They made a big thing out of it. People were bringing their food and they were coming to eat. But the problem was, was they were not reverencing God in this. Is everybody all right? It had become such that they were, they were doing this. They were gathering together and they were breaking bread and they were doing the things, but they had become so familiar with it in such a short period of time and they had added so much to it that now they had taken away the identity of it. If that makes sense to anybody in here tonight, they had left the reverence of it and they had made it all about themselves. All right, they were coming together. The Bible says that they were eating food and they were, uh, uh, the rich would bring their food and the poor would not, they couldn't bring as much food and the rich would fix their plates before the uh, poor could fix theirs. And they were coming together and they were eating, so gluttony was going on. They were eating themselves to fullness. And then also, the Bible tells us right here in verse number 21 that they were getting drunk. I, I mean, I, I don't care what you think about alcohol. I don't care what you, I, I, I'm tired of arguing with y'all about it. I don't care what you think about the alcohol, but I tell you this, drunkenness is a sin in the Bible. All right, is everybody all right? And I can go ahead and tell you this, there's nothing about the Lord's Supper that has alcohol in it. Right? If you understand it, you understand it was a Passover feast. With it being the Passover feast, that means that there was no leaven. With no leaven means there was no yeast. With no yeast, then that means there was no alcohol. Is everybody all right? So anyhow, this was a fruit of the vine, all right? This was some good old-fashioned Welch's grapefruit juice, or grape juice before they even had Welch's. Is everybody all right? Now, verse number 22, let's continue on. He says, what? I love it. Man, I like reading the Bible like Paul wrote it. Somebody help me right here. When Paul wrote this thing, man, he was like, have y'all lost your minds? He just wasn't from Lake Park. So when he, he, he said, what? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God? I want you to, I, let's just take a break and think about what he just said. Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise, he said, what you're doing looks like you despise the church of God. And you're shaming them that have not. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. I praise you not. Verse number 23. He says, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. So Paul is, if we can, let's just understand what he's saying. Paul's saying, I got this, what I've taught you was by divine revelation. He said, I may not have been sitting at the table with Jesus at his last supper, but make no mistake about it, 
what I have given to you and what I have taught you is by divine revelation. I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it, listen, in remembrance of me. This isn't a time that we gather together and just go through the motions. See, when you do this, you're to do it in such a manner in remembrance of him. All right, it's all about him. Everything that goes on is about him. Verse number 27, or no, 26. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. That word show right there, it means to announce, to declare, to make known, to publish, to proclaim publicly. This is what he's saying. As often as you do this, as often as you partake of this, you are preaching a sermon. You are proclaiming the death of our Lord and Savior. In other words, you are proclaiming the gospel. Is everybody all right? Verse number 27, wherefore, whosoever, this is where it gets touchy. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now let me address this before I go any further because some of you just felt like you got a knife just went through your heart. Is everybody all right? Say, how in the world can I be worthy enough to partake of this? I don't want to partake of it if I'm not worthy. Can I go ahead and just burst everybody's bubble? Ain't none of us worthy. Can I get a witness? But what he is saying right here is there is a manner, there is a way that you are, are to partake of this. And what they were doing was not that way. Is everybody with me? They had gotten so familiar with it. They had, gotten so, they had lost such respect for it that they were just flippantly going through the motions and having a dinner added on to the church service and just saying, hallelujah, we're going to call this the Lord's Supper. And they were mistreating people. They were getting drunk. Gluttony was going on. That's why he said, hey, you got houses to eat in. If you're hungry, go eat at a house. Can I get a witness? This is what he was saying. Be careful that you don't come into this place and partake of this unworthily. With no reverence. Is everybody all right? All right? I don't want to scare nobody. Because it, 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 it's, this wasn't written in our Bible to keep us from taking the Lord's Supper. Matter of fact, Jesus instructed, as often as we do this, we do in remembrance of him. This is something that he wants us to partake of, all right? And so it's not something that he's trying to keep us from. It's just saying, hey, if we're going to do it, let's do it the right way, all right? Verse number 28, let me hurry on. But let a man, look at this, examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And I don't have to have, I don't, I, I, I hope I don't have to teach you this, but uh, here in this context, that word sleep there means are dead. And the Bible says this, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, come, when you come together to eat, 
tarry one for another, and if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. So Paul has to address a problem that's happening in this church, and what is happening in this church is that they're partaking in the Lord's Supper, but they're doing it in such a manner that they're not bringing honor to God. They're doing it in such a manner that God's getting no honor, God's getting no glory out of this. Why? Because their focus is on themselves. And so tonight, just for a few moments, just a few teaching points, and we're going to get right on with it. I know we got a lot of folks here tonight, and so it's going to take us some time to do this, but you hang in there, all right? We want to get through these teaching points. I want you to notice, first off, this a time, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's a time of reverence. It's a time of reverence. I've already mentioned this several times, but our focus is to be Christ. When we partake of this, when you partake of the bread, your focus is on His body. When we partake of the, the juice, the focus is on His blood. It's not on, hey, I'm glad I got to come to a communion service, or it's not on, I'm glad I got to come meet up with all my friends and the teenagers. I need all the teenagers to hear me right now. Because we're the world, I mean the teenagers are the world's worst about coming to church and not getting engaged or staying engaged with what's going on in the church. Now I ain't saying that because I'm mad at you, I'm just saying I've been there like you were, all right, and I know how distractions are uh, for a 16, 17, 15, whatever year old kid, all right. This is something that we're to take serious. This is not something that we're to do flippantly. This is something that we are to do in such a manner that brings us and draws our attention and our focus to God. And so it's a time of reverence. Our focus needs to be on Christ. Our fellowship should be Christ-centered. And uh, man, the churches today, we come into the church, and I'm not getting on to you. I promise you I'm not. But we come into church today, and you'll hear more about football. You'll hear more about hunting. You'll hear more about fishing. You'll hear more about things that are going on in the community. You'll hear more about things that are going on everywhere else, except what we should be talking about. We're gathered together as believers. Somebody help me out. Y'all getting quiet on me too soon. I ain't giving an invitation yet. We come together not to talk about Georgia, but even though Georgia's great. We come together not to talk about hunting and fishing, even though that's fun to do. We come, whatever you ladies do, shoe shopping or whatever, I know that's what y'all do because every time my wife goes somewhere, well, she comes home with another pair of shoes. Is everybody all right? And so I, I, I don't know what else women do, but I do know this. Y'all buy shoes. You're addicted to them. You need help. A time of reverence. Our focus and our fellowship needs to be Christ-centered. It needs to be on Christ. But then we need not only a time of reverence, but a time of remembrance. A time of remembrance. Jesus said it this way. This do in remembrance of me. When you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We're not just gathering together to have a good time. That's exactly what they were doing. They're basically having a party, getting drunk. I mean, who gets drunk, comes to church and gets drunk? Do y'all understand how bad that is? Is everybody all right? Hey, praise the Lord. I'm need, man, I might need to preach on that for a few minutes, all right? But it's a time of remembrance. Preacher, what, are we, what should we remember? The cross. It's a time for us to look back at the cross and look at who was on the cross. We look at his sinlessness. Jesus hung on that cross. He was not guilty of what 
he was accused of. He was not guilty of what they placed him on the cross for. He was not guilty for what he died for. Is everybody all right? It was mine and you, you and me. That's who was guilty. It was our sin, mine and your sin, that was placed on him. The Bible says he became sin and he died a death for you and I. He took our punishment and so we are to be reminded that it was him hanging on that cross without any sin. You and I deserve the cross. Jesus hung on a cross that was made for Barabbas. But I want to take it a step further. It was made for you and I. The cross was mine to carry. The cross was mine to hang on. The death was mine to have. Because I was the one that transgressed against God. He did not. And so we look back at the cross and we look at His sinlessness. We look at the fact that He hung on a cross not because of what He had done. But He hung on a cross for you and I. So we see his sinlessness, but then we think about, we go back and we remember his surrender. He gave his life willingly. The Bible says, Jesus told him, no man takes my life. There ain't no man going to take my life. He says, I give my life. No man took his life. He gave his life for you and I. He gave his life for you and I. What does that mean, preacher? That means he puts a high value on you. He puts a high value on you. Quit selling yourself short. Quit acting like you ain't worth nothing. Quit acting like all hope is gone and all that. There was one from eternity past to eternity future. And in the middle of all that, he said, you are worth me hanging on that cross. And if you were the only one that got saved, he'd have still went to that cross. If you were the only one that received him, if you were the only one that by faith trusted in him, he still would have went to that cross. Because God loved the world so that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We see his sinlessness. We see his surrender. We see his sufferings. We see his sufferings. We look back out on the cross and we can see him hanging on the cross, but his sufferings didn't start there. His suffering started all the way back at the Last Supper when he knew one of the ones that had walked with him for three years was going to betray him. When he knew the other ones were fighting over who was going to be the greatest. When he probably looked at him, he probably looked at him and said, have I spent three years with y'all and this is what y'all got out of it? Who's going to be the greatest after I'm gone? Come on, y'all, talk to me. His sufferings in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says as he prayed and there was sweat pouring from his forehead and it was as sweat drops of blood. The Bible says in agony, he fell on his face and he cried out, Father. That word is Abba. Abba Father. It it means Daddy. It's a term of endearment. It wasn't, oh, our Heavenly Father. He was crying out, Daddy. He said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. See, the first Adam 
all the way back in the Garden of Eden, he said, not your will, but mine be done. But this Adam, the second Adam, the one that came to save you and I, he said, not my will, but thine be done. That if it's possible to avoid the sufferings of the cross, if it's possible any other way to save man, let this cup pass from me. But yet he went to a cross, surrendered. He hung on a cross for you and I. Soldiers came and took him. And that night, it began a series of trials that Jesus would go through. Kangaroo court, if you will. Nothing, no evidence to find him guilty. Just the over and over accusations that were false. They spit upon him. They slapped him in the face, played games with him, blindfolded him, hit him, told him to prophesy who hit him. They took him to Pilate early the next morning after he spent a night in a pit in total darkness. No telling what kind of agony was going on in that pit as all of hell was trying to distract him. All of hell was coming against him. The next morning, early in the morning, they take him to Pilate. Pilate said, I don't want nothing to do with this man. Send him to Herod. He's from Galilee. He can answer to him. Send him to Herod, and Herod just wants to play games. He'd heard about Jesus and the miracles that he performed, and so all Herod was interested in was him playing games. Wanted him to do some tricks for him placed a crown of thorns on him, continued to mock him, continued to beat him, plucked hair from his, from his beard. They sent him back to Pilate after they got finished toying with him. Pilate says, I still can't find any fault in this man. I don't want to do anything to him. He said, but you got a custom. And in your custom, I'm going to release somebody. Here's Barabbas, which by the way, if you go and you look, Barabbas was guilty of what Jesus hung on the cross for. Are you hearing me? Jesus was accused of insurrection. It's a word we've heard. Barabbas was guilty of it. Jesus was innocent. The crowd cried, release Barabbas, crucify Jesus. The innocent dying for the guilty. Pilate still not willing to kill him. Thought he would just take and purge him. The Bible calls it a scourge. In biblical times they would take a cat of nine tails, a whip, pieces, straps of leather, inside of it were bones and glass, metal, stones, whatever they could find. They would attach the prisoner to a, a post with a ring on the top of it, what we know affectionately as a whipping post. They would take that whip on his unclothed body. 
And they would hit him with that whip. And as they did, those leather straps would go around his body. Pieces of bone, pieces of stone, all those things would dig into his skin. And then they would rip it out. The Jews couldn't do this no more than 39 times. But the Roman soldiers had no, they had no law against continuing. Places of the Bible where we're told that when he come out of this, he was unrecognizable as a man. Pilate still wanted to wash his hands. And the people, Pilate thought, if I give them a scourge man, if I bring him out here in this condition, surely they'll show sympathy. Surely they'll have mercy. But that crowd cried, crucify. Robe on him, robe off of him. As you can imagine, blood drying, ripped back off, bleeding again. Pilate condemned him to the cross. The Bible says and the soldiers took him. He carried a part of the cross, more than likely not, not the whole cross, but he carried the cross member of the cross, which was not... Anything that was light, probably 75 pounds worth. And he carried that in the condition that he was in. Through the streets of Jerusalem, while the same people that cried crucify, spit on him, mocked him. While the Roman soldiers continued to whip him and beat him because he wasn't moving fast enough after what they had done to him. At some point in all of that, he reached a point as a man. We know he was God in the flesh, but as a man, he reached a point of exhaustion. Blood loss, no doubt, affecting his ability to function. And the Bible says that they compelled a man by the name of Simon. The Bible tells us that he was a Cyrene. He was from Cyrene, he was a Cyrenian, which is a place located in North Africa around Libya. He carried the cross and followed behind Jesus. They got to Golgotha. If he hadn't been through enough, they threw him down on the ground on that cross. With a mallet, they beat nails through his hands and through his feet. No mercy. Lifted that cross into place. It would have dropped in that hole. Everything would have shook. A cross for many of us is something we wear around our neck, something we have on our car. It's something that we have in our house. But for the early church, for these people in biblical times, the cross was a torture device. It was nothing to celebrate. It was nothing that you took pride in. It was nothing that you wore. It was nothing that you honored. As they lifted him up, this device of torture 
would cause more pain than what he had been through. As he struggled to breathe, he'd have to pull himself up. And those nails hitting all those nerves and all that pain shooting through his body as he lifted himself up with his arms and as he pushed up with his feet. And then as he let go, this would take hours for some days. Matter of fact, we know later that when the soldiers came to break their legs, Jesus had already passed. He gave up the ghost, but the other two, they broke their legs. The reason they broke their legs is so that they could no longer breathe. They basically suffocated them on the cross. The only way for them to breathe is to pull up, which would once again send all that pain through those nerves, all your body. It's called the median nerves, and all of it would shoot pain through your body. This is what Jesus endured for you, for me. This is why when we gather for the Lord's Supper, we don't do it flippantly. This is why we don't just come together to eat a meal. We're doing this in remembrance of Him. What He did for you. Make it personal tonight. Understand it's personal tonight. He didn't do it for Calvary Baptist Church. He didn't do it for another church in the area. He did this for you. And if you were the only one, He'd have still done this for you. Compassion and mercy as He still hung on the cross. His words were, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. It's a time of remembrance of his sufferings and of his substitutionary sacrifice. It's a time of remembrance of a covenant, a new covenant that was given to us, an old covenant that was ratified in blood all the way back in Exodus chapter number 24 and verse number 8. An old covenant, an old testament, if you will. But Jesus, as I read from Luke 22, he said, this is a new testament. What he was saying is this is a new covenant. That word testament there is covenant. This was a new covenant that God was making. Jeremiah said something about this covenant. He said, he said that he will forgive them of their sins and remember them no more. <laughs> Amen. No longer, no longer did an animal have to die for man. Because the precious blood of Jesus Christ was shed and there was no greater blood that could be offered as a sacrifice. And so God would accept the sacrifice of His dear Son, the pure blood, sinless blood of His dear Son. And He would forgive us of our sin and our trespasses and remember them no more. Jeremiah said about it that he would write his laws on our hearts and in our minds. Oh, I need somebody to help me. This new covenant, it wasn't on tables of stone, but it was written upon our hearts. When you and I get saved, God moves in. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, now God is in us. His Word, capital W, is in us. His laws are in us, written on our hearts, on our minds, a transformation. And he said this 
and Jeremiah, they will be my people, and I will be their God. <laughs> oh, I need somebody to help me. A relationship. The old covenant didn't offer a relationship. Matter of fact, the old covenant said only the high priest could come in to the presence of God, and he can only do that with blood. But this new covenant, God made through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross, the veil split from top to bottom. The Bible says, giving us access to the throne of grace, that you and I may come boldly unto the throne of grace, a relationship with the one who created us. Remembrance of a covenant. It's a time of remembrance. It's a time of reverence. And because of that, it's a time of repentance. Paul lets us know that let a man examine himself. When you look back at the cross and you see what he went through, now look at yourself. In the looking glass. In the mirror. In the word of God. How do I line up? With God's word. Let a man examine himself. Tonight. I want to remind you. The Bible tells us if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Tonight, you and I have a blank check. You and I have an invitation. You and I have an opportunity to cleanse our hearts as we prepare to partake. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter number 1 and verse number 7 that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So if you're in this building tonight, no matter what you've done, I want you to know the blood covers it. I, mm -mm, mm, nah, I use the wrong words. I'm sorry. The Old Testament, the blood covered it. This new covenant, the blood forgives it and remembers it no more. The Old Testament, it was just a covering. Much like the apron of figs back in the garden. But in the New Testament, this new covenant that God has made with us, it's not covered. forgiven and remember no more so tonight let me encourage you self-examination tonight let me encourage you sin extermination I use that I like it y'all ain't got to like it it's time to get right here's what the Bible tells us if I regard iniquity in my heart Psalm 66 18 if I regard iniquity in my heart the Lord will not hear me what unconfessed sin do you have tonight? And lastly, it's a time of recommitment. Mm. 
refocus. Many of us, our first sin that we'd have to confess is much like the first commandment. We put things before God. We've prioritized everything else above God. He's on the list, but He's not where He's supposed to be. He's not where He's supposed to be. So tonight is this time of repentance and this time of recommitment. Let me encourage you to recommit to Him. There's a cause. Remember David said that as he stood before Goliath. Is there not a cause? There's a cause. Because of what he did. Because of what he did for you and I. Others need to hear. And when we do this tonight, we're preaching a sermon to the world. We're preaching a sermon to Satan. Oh, yeah. We're letting him know he didn't win. We're preaching a sermon to all the demonic powers in this world. Letting them know they didn't win. We're declaring, pronouncing the good news. Why don't you come get refocused tonight?